The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! your bakes. Chop, 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 James. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Chop, 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 chop. I'm like going as fast as I can here, but I'm tall. Can you tell me how you're feeling right now? I'm feeling pretty nervous because I've got this thing. I've, I've He's got feeling this pretty thing nervous. I, He's got all these things going on. I, I don't know. This, uh, if yeah, I don't know if I'm going to finish on time. And then just... Okay, bakers. Time's up. Oh, I finished just in time, James. Gross. Would you like me to tell you about my bake? And that's very funny, by the way. <laughs> Would you like uh, me to tell you about my bake? Paul, there's nothing more in this world that I want more than for you to tell me about your bake, please. James, I'm so glad you asked. Elaborate on the bake. Today, for my showstopper challenge, I have uh, created a three-tiered podcast. Ooh. And on the first tier is three different layers of mm-hmm. audio mm-hmm. input. Um, on the second layer, I have three different musical varieties I have, I have seasoned in there to add some texture. Do I take... Do I detect a, a glaze, a nice little cinnamon glaze on that music? Uh, on that that was my music. James, that is definitely a glaze. It is uh, a, a lovingly, lovingly applied glaze. And then uh, for my third tier, uh, it is mostly just fondant. Mmm. Nature's candy. Fondant. <laughs> uh... They, they, some say they get truffle oh. pigs to go out and find fondant out in the wild. The, James, the, main, the main thing I'm trying to get across here is I've yes. used three varieties for three tiers of my th- triple-layered podcast. Oh, I love all of these varietals, all three of them. And 
that transition, James, I'm so happy you asked. That transitions <laughs> lovely into our theme for this episode. Hi, mm. my name's Paul Kaminsky. I'm your co-host of this Jack White podcast. Mm, these varietals. Oh, three varietals. So delicious. I'm James Kaminsky, your other co-host. Hi, Paul. That was our hi. That was our most <laughs> exciting introduction yet. Uh, this is our Jack White History podcast, as I mentioned, and I mean we goof around a little bit, but you know, <laughs> that's not a crime. No, it ain't no and, crime. It ain't no thing. Yeah, we screwed up a little bit. No one got hurt. Well, I was in an automobile accident last night. Still shook up. No one got hurt, but it was all uh, jostle up mighty bad. Shake up. Still sore from it, but no one got hurt. You know, we, we 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 just do a little goofy intro. No one got hurt. Um, you remember that one, James, from that song? Yeah, no, I yeah, Paul. I see that headset on that that headset you got on there, and I, I just want to tear those cans on down. <laughs> um, so this episode, James, is about we cover Jack White's history and music and movies and television appearances, and we've done all of these different things on the show, James, but today we're going to take a, a brand new topic for a spin. Mm, I like new topics, just like these toppings you have on this three-tiered cake. Well, it's a podcast I made, James, but... What am I eating? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so this week we're going to try a fun topic. Jack has a lot of, let's call them eccentricities. He's got things he's, he, uh, I don't want to say obsesses over, and that would be the pot calling the kettle black, but <laughs> he's got several concepts, would it be fair to say, that he keys in on. Tropes? Yeah, sure. And uses it as a theme for his body of work, and today we're going to be talking about his obsession with the number three, James. Ooh, what an interesting topic to go over. Yeah, it's kind of a weird one, and you may be thinking to yourself, how are they going to make a whole show out of this? And, well, hey, it's us, okay? We got we're going to make three of them. Ah, uh, but before we get to all that, James. Uh-huh. Is there something we should stop doing or start smelling? No, to both. Oh, oh is there a new segment in the works? I've, I've got a special surprise for you, James. <gasps> Ooh. I would love to introduce a segment this episode called Every Single One's Got a Story to Tell. <gasps> this is unplanned and unprecedented. Paul, please go on. Don't want to hear about it. Every single one's got a story to tell. Everyone knows about it. Every single one's got a story to tell. I'm live pitching this to you, but Great. I would love to be a segment where when people post cool experiences that have happened to them or their friends on our social media pages, we give a little brief little shout out to that experience and kind of a quick little summary. So kind of like a, a listener shout out mixed with like a fan experience. Very cool. Yeah, I'm into it. This every single one's got a story to tell comes from Brett Garski, who shared with us, James, an experience he had seeing Margot Price and William Tyler at the Bluebird Theater in Denver, Colorado last October. Oh, very cool. You saw Margot with William Tyler too, right? 
Yes, in that same month, actually. So we must have been, they must have been very similar in terms of when that leg of the tour was happening. But we did episode 31. James was on Margot Price. And Brett pointed out on our Facebook wall and offered a link to a blog post that he had written about it, that he had seen Margot at the Bluebird Theater in Denver on October 24th, 2016. Hmm. You can all go on to our Facebook page and read his full blog post, but just sort of some of the highlights here, some of the the Cliff Notes version, James, it seems that uh, our buddy Brett had foregone seeing the Denver Broncos play on Monday Night Football. Oh, the Denver Broncos! I think owning the Denver Broncos is pretty good. And instead headed down to the Bluebird Theater to witness uh, what he described as modern traditional country music, uh, which I would I think is kind of appropriate yeah. title for Margot stuff. Pity about the Broncos, though. Well, look, I don't know much about sporting books, but... Hey, that's James's attempt at knowing anything about football. Do you just, whenever somebody brings up a sports team, do you just say, yeah, pity about the... <laughs> no, it's always ball. the Broncos. Just the... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, those Mets are doing great. Yeah, it's a pity about the Broncos, though. It sounds like a really cool set list, and she played Merle Haggard's Red Bandana and uh, Loretta Lynn's Rated X. lot of jack connection there and we played that briefly in the last episode yeah yes we did i forgot about that because time is a flat circle <laughs> merle haggard by the way i would just love to offer this to our listeners i went on a deep merle haggard dive after our margo episode and i i didn't like everything i found in there uh there's some real there's some cobwebs going on merle apparently does not care for men with shaggy haircuts uh, he claims no one has ever done LSD in Muskogee, Oklahoma, and uh, he has some harsh words for you if you did not care for the Vietnam War. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, he really puts the haggard in haggard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, th- I believe "Love It or Leave It" was a um, uh-huh. was a co- was a co- like a part of the chorus in one of his songs, and uh, he calls a lot of people squirrely. He like some squirrely looking guy came up to him to talk about you know like we shouldn't be fighting or something. And he's like, of course we should be fighting. I read about some squirrely guy who claims that he just don't believe in fighting, and I wonder just how long. The rest of us can count on being free. Anyway. <laughs> Paul Decker. I'm sure Merle's I'm sure Merle's a lovely man. Um, I'm not. <laughs> apparently Jeremy Ivy joined her on stage for this show. Sounds very cool. Uh Margo introducing him as Baby Daddy. Hey. Good old Jivey. Good old Jivey. And then uh William Tyler opened. And then actually William Tyler joined Margot on the stage for their final song, uh, Rodney Crowell's I Ain't Living Long Like This. That's it's, It appears as how she ended this tour. I didn't see her do Rated X, so it sounds like she is switching up the set list, although it seems like Ain't Living Long Like This is kind of the standard closer. Uh, what we got on The Vault, that concert that was released from the Hamilton in November, mm-hmm. 
was very, very similar to the set I saw. And so it sounds like she, unlike Jack, has a benchmark set she um, she tries to uh, target. Gotcha. So anyway, thank you, Brett, for sharing that story. Yeah. And that's been our very first Every Single One's Got a Story to Tell. And hey, thanks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So James, let's talk. Here come the threes, James. Am I right? Let's talk about. Let's talk about the number three. Here come the threes. This is something I never really knew a lot about, which is why I was kind of interested in exploring it. Because James, you know, this obsession with Jack and the number three has lasted pretty much his entire career, as far as we can tell. And from what I know, and you're gonna obviously correct me if I'm wrong, and you've done all the research. The third man thing at the very least, started from his love of the movie The Third Man from a very early age. And I'm assuming that some of the three stuff came from his his Christian upbringing. But, Paul, let's hear about it. Well, it's funny you say those things. They're both components. He would claim that there was a very specific thing that made it happen, but then other people who knew him at the time claimed something else was mm. the thing. We'll get into that. But basically, boiling this down, I, I sort of struck this into different categories. We'll start with the origins of this. Boiling this down to the basics, a, a quote from Jack. What's always been a question for us, meaning the White Stripes, is if we're breaking things down, how simple could they be? It seems to revolve around the number three. Songwriting is storytelling, melody, and rhythm. Those three components. If you break it down, but you keep the three components, then you have what songwriting really is without excess and overthinking. So that's an aspect of this. It's about boiling it down. Hmm. He goes on. The first time it hit me, I was working in an upholstery shop. So he's referring to the time that he worked with... Brian Muldoon. At Third Man Upholstery. He says, There was a piece of fabric over part of a couch... The guy I was working for put in three staples. You couldn't have one or two, but three was the minimum way to upholster something. And it seemed things kept revolving around that. Like, you only need to have three legs on a table. After two, three meant many. And that was it. You don't have to go any further than that. The three components of songwriting, the three chords of rock and roll, or the blues, and that always seemed to be the number. The three wheels of a bicycle. Uh, the <laughs> He always points to that stapling thing as the thing. Like, no matter what the interview, that's the moment he points to. Mm, the three legs that humans have. <laughs> Via the Guardian. <laughs> You're incurring the wrath, James. Via the Guardian. Quote from Jack. It was a Vladimir Kagan couch. The fabric was pink with silver threads, he remembers. I had three staples tamping the fabric down, left, right, and center, and I just stared at it for ten minutes. It became hypnotic. <laughs> He's alone in this upholstery shop, staring hypnotically into three staples on a couch. Yep, that sounds about right. Just <laughs> James, it's the number three. Okay. Uh, this is via that Empire from the Blues book. That book says, Jack also decided that this smallest possible band unit, despite having two members, there you go, perfectly met his mystic obsession with the number three. It exemplifies, quote, the almost iconic, mysterious perfection that cannot be obtained, mm. quote. He informed the Guardian's Alexis Petridis, invisibility 
present like the messages he sees in furniture. The figure was spectral, decodable, universal DNA. Quote, there are three elements to everything, and if you can discover what those three are as your structure, then you're on the right path. He also told The New Yorker, the blues were taking music down to three chords. Twelve bars, three lines, White said. The simplest components. That's really the big thing here. He went on to describe to MTV Brazil, he called it perfect. It's the start of more. Oh. Two's company, three's a crowd. Yeah. You know, it kind of goes to that sort of thinking. Yeah, I mean, three's company, the show, taught me all about that. Had Jack Tripper. Right. Jack the, Tripper. The character. Was Jack the Ripper. Right. Song performed by Jack White. None of that works. I think there's something here in what he's saying. He went on to talk a little bit about its religious significance. You mentioned that, James, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Obviously, Jack is a heavily Catholic upbringing. That The number three plays a definitive role in Christian mythology, I guess you'd call it. Mm-hmm. So this terminology would have been surrounding him from a very young age. He went into it a little bit more with Terry Gross, and we'll play a little bit of that here. You said the number three is a significant number for you. Why three? I just think it's perfection to me. I don't know. It's, a, it's an attempt at sort of that create, creative perfection that maybe God has. And uh, it seems to be the most minimal number for things. I, you know, I used to say, like, oh, well, there's a reason. You know, like you could have it's a minimal amount of legs you could have a table, on a table and still keep it up. You know, a min- minimal amount of uh, bolts you could put on a wheel on a car. Or, uh, you know, the, the number keeps popping up and, and it's in, in nature especially as well, you know. If three is such a big no- uh, number, do you feel like it should be a trio and not a duo? Well, then we would have four components. Then we wouldn't just have vocal, guitar, and drums. Oh, I see. Okay. So you're, you're counting the components and not the people. Yeah. All right. Right. <laughs> so uh, Jack, once again, being very God conscious. The movie Third Man, I couldn't find a lot of direct connection, honestly, to that. And Jack's obsession with number three or calling things the third man. Although, obviously, there is a, a well-known film with Orson Welles in it that is called The Third Man. So... Look, that must have played some kind of role in this, although he doesn't really mention it a whole bunch. Mm. Orson Welles' character from that film is Harry Lime, by the way. The only important thing is that he's dead. Third Man, the story of two men and one woman caught in the dangerous web of an international love affair. Oh, please, for heaven's sake, stop making him in your image. Harry was real. He wasn't just your friend and my lover. No, I don't know. I'm just a... Hack writer drinks too much and falls in love with girls. You? Me? Don't be such a fool, of course. The Third Man. Joseph Cotton in his most successful performance. As an American caught in a whirlpool of continental intrigue, the glamorous valley is the mysterious Viennese actress who knew the secret of The Third Man. The number three also has some roots in recorded music's origins itself. As Jack White himself details in the upcoming American Epic documentary, the number three, as it is associated with popular music, has its origins in the 1920s, at the dawn of electrical recording. Mm. 
This is him talking a little bit via thirdmanrecords.com. Engineer Nicholas Berg has assembled this recording system from its original parts, and it is now the only one left in the world referring to the recording system that mimics the very first recorded music sound. The system consists of a single microphone, a towering six-foot amplifier rack, and a live record cutting lathe powered by a weight-driven pulley system of clockwork gears. So the musicians have roughly three minutes to record their song direct to disc before the weight hits the floor. In the 1920s, they called this catching lightning in a bottle. All the musical performances in this film, American Epic, are live, and the audio you hear on the soundtrack is taken directly from the disc they were recorded to with no editing or enhancements. So we know most pop and rock songs of the modern age tend to be three minutes long. That has its entire roots in the fact that Basically a, uh, what do you call the Hourglass. An hourglass. It basically has its root in this, it roots in this hourglass style original recording equipment that literally had a pulley that was basically timing the amount of time you could actually record to. So there was an arbitrary like a ter- uh, time frame. Like a uh, musical version of perfection. Kind of, yeah, something like that. So I found that actually very interesting. Also, um, uh, you're glossing over the fact that you could have referenced Spider-Man with three minutes of playtime. Oh, yeah! <laughs> Bonesaw is ready. Uh, a side note on this, traditional blues songs have three lines perverse, which the White Stripes obviously exemplify in many songs. Mm. And, you know, Jack, again, talking about the actual construction of his songs, it's all based around the number three. Even if there's just two of us, it's vocals, guitar, and drums, and then rhythm, melody, and storytelling. So that's kind of its musical origins here. Jack signs his name, Jack White the Third, yep. with one, two, three, whenever he's signing autographs. I have noticed that. Or he simply signs it with the three. This is via a website called feelnumb.com. He often goes by Jack White the Third and usually signs his name as such, or simply three. He even changed his name to Three Quid during a 2005 tour. Yep. I feel like that's true, and I believe that, but I have no it idea. Was, is that really? Yeah, it was during the Get Behind Me Satan tour in Europe, in England. No, wait, was it Elephant? Elephant tour in England. If it's 2005, then it's... Oh, then- get behind me Satan. yeah and he did it during the english tour and uh he changed meg's name to something else too uh penny farthing here real quick jack white still referring to himself and drummer meg as three quid and penny farthing said oh, there you go. penny farthing and i took a walk today around the island and breathed fresh air we're running out of things to do in the world running out of places to play and running out of air for our lungs feeling good as ever though what a guy Oh, Jack. It wouldn't be the only time he changed his name to something three-related, obviously, for his uh, drummer alias Whip Triplet that he goes by on occasion when guesting drums on a track. Other iconography of the number three in Jack White's stuff, his guitar amps and picks tend to have the three symbol on him. He puts it on, like, a bunch of merch, all that stuff. Three is uh, very heavily in the artwork that he uh, commissions from Rob Jones. Mm -hmm. He likes it everywhere. The simplest explanation, though, for the name Third Man, as it pertains to both his recordings, or his record label and his uh, upholstery shop, via Empire, said, quote, Muldoon, though, recalling the local lineage started by W.E. Klomp, remembered a simpler reason, referring to Third Man as a name. Quote, 
That's where the third man thing came from, quote, he told Metro Times, quote, he was the third man in our neighborhood to become an upholsterer. Huh. So that's a very different explanation than this crazy staple thing, although, honest to God, I would believe both, or maybe they actually both happened. Yeah, I feel like Jack would have recognized the staple thing as the inception of it, and this other guy was just like, completely on another level going like oh yeah i guess he was the third man in our neighborhood to become an upholsterer maybe that's why <laughs> let me tell the newspapers <laughs> yes oh the newsman would love to hear about this excuse me mr newsman newsboy oh. <laughs> over this way newsboy yes you yes oh you're you're older than a boy uh. now aren't you Would you like to hear the story of... Radio! No, not radio. Three quid and penny farthing. Uh, farting? Yes, penny farting. I farted! No, no, farthing. It's like the bicycle with the large wheel. Anywho, this man, this young boy over here, this chap... He was um, the... Mr. Excuse me, Mr. Peepers, yes. and I'm sorry, your new friend, what is your name? I'm... Jay Gordon Lightfoot. <laughs> Jay Gordon Lightfoot, I'm going to have to ask you both to take your medication and meet in the main cafeteria for lunch. Um, and I just... Look, I, I overheard a little bit. There's no newsboys in here. That sounds simply delightful. Peep hey! Peepers, what? who's this young... This young what? horse who is talking to me, Curly. I'm so he's cold. quite a beautiful horse you have here. And that, uh, and that was our old folks' home characters. <laughs> Gordon Lightfoot. Gordon, Jay Gordon Lightfoot. And <laughs> Which Peepers. is a mashup of Jay Giles Band and Gordon Lightfoot. Like, what? <laughs> Speaking of oddballs, James, I got some more oddball examples of the number three for Jack White. You want to hear these? His childhood home. This is via Stripespedia. The house he grew up in is a, quote, wooden house with three floors. And it was built in 1911. Via Rolling Stone, Jack was quoted as saying, I have three dads, my biological father, God, and Bob Dylan. Wow. Okay. This is via that Empire for the Blues book. He refers to something called Trout Mask Replica's Moonlight on Vermont. He heard on a VHS he and Krautner sat watching in 1999, which snagged his attention. Quote, I have to hear it three times every time I hear it, White told DeBar. The obsessive compulsive power of three, again, helped draw White in. So that's from Captain Beefheart's 1969 album Trout Mask Replica. That's what he's referring to there. Track six, by the way. And James, uh, there's something that we have more than three of in our bodies. 
Is it eyes? You want to think that one through? Fingers, isn't it? Getting warmer. Necks? <laughs> Something that composes each of those body parts. Faces. It's a ragged <laughs> bone. Oh, it's a ragged bone. Ragged bone. Ragged bone. James, would you like to tell the people what rag and bone... This whole episode's a f***ing rag and bone. <laughs> would you like to tell the people what a rag and bone is? Yeah, rag and bone's when we find something weird and we throw it in our weird podcast. This is the weirdest <laughs> rag and bone I've ever found. Okay, okay, I'm excited. That's a big statement. Oh, I remember you, you teased this to me the other night, and I was just... Yes. Just couldn't wait. Yeah. So, James, there was a gangster... Uh-huh. <laughs> In the 1920s, named Henry Kearney, that went by the name Jack Three-Fingered White. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. Jackie Lee with with his 33? I discovered this on a website called MyAlCaponeMuseum.com. It is your AlCaponeMuseum.com. Yeah, see? Oh, I'm that bad man named Jackie D. <laughs> what are the odds that there's a gangster called Jack White and he, his his middle name is Three Fingered? Jack Three Fingered White. I mean, that is pretty far fetched. It would seem. I mean, the Three Fingers thing is what really does it. Because I mean, we yeah. obviously we found another Jack White paddling around with Mister Ricks in Springfield. Yeah, uh, they're just a couple of working class dogs together. Yeah. And this guy over here is... Uh, it's amazing. I mean, what? Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Does he, um, does he get that three-finger discount? <laughs> well, by the very nature of his hand, uh, his nickname comes from his two missing fingers on one hand, and he was said to, when wearing gloves, white stuff's cotton in the missing digits, which yes. I would imagine is a little unnerving <laughs> for, like... You know, just regular, everyday stuff. I wonder if you ever poked anybody with it, like, they were expecting to feel a finger, and it's cotton balls. If, like, somebody's like, oh, can you direct me toward the restroom? And then he pointed, but he accidentally just gave the shocker. (laughs) You know? And what would that say about what he's saying? Oh, you want the restroom? I'm going to put this inside of you. (laughs) He was essentially a Ninja Turtle, is what he was. He was Raphael in his civilian clothes yeah in uh, in 1919 he was sent to the penitentiary uh, for one year to life for robbery uh, that seems like a pretty wide gambit yeah um, whoa whoa wait 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 y- you could either stay in here for a little while or forever <laughs> would you like to stay in here for as much as one season of television or forever yeah, or forever. It could be either. Uh, in 1921, he was transferred to Chester State Hospital for the Criminally Insane, and then he was returned uh, to the state penitentiary in 1923 and paroled in 1924, serving five years out of that sentence. So he was uh, given special discharge for the parole board, uh, which they also did on a cake. And then he was arrested in Kansas City for robbery again a cool two months later. How did he hold a gun? <laughs> he was su- suspected to be the leader of eight bandits who held up a tractor plant uh, of an international harvester company on March 5th of uh, 1926 and escaped with $80,000. In tractors. <laughs> 
hey, it's just listen, one see? tractor. <laughs> we're gonna come up. We're gonna get in there, and we're gonna hold them up for some dough. And by dough, I mean large farming machinery. <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna slide it here under your coat, under your comically large overcoat. Did they take push mowers, or did they take the whole full size thing? <laughs> um, three witnesses uh-huh. Uh-huh. also point him out as being the one who shot a motorcycle policeman in Mannheim Roadhouse. Mm. He robbed the treasurer of McVicker's Theater for $10,000. And uh, witnesses also claim Jack White was one of four who robbed the McHenry State Bank of $18,000. This guy was a big, big spender. Okay. He was acquitted of the harvester robbery. So he they caught him on the tractor theft. <laughs> he got off and but then he still they were still like, whoa, wait, wait, wait a minute, you did kill some people. Like you're good on the tractor thing, but you also did murder on some people and they're dead now. Yeah, don't do a murder, please. <laughs> he was arrested again later in nineteen twenty six. When they got him, he was carrying two loaded forty fives two 38s and a sawed-off shotgun at the same time. Huh. What was Jackie Lee carrying again? Was it just a 33? Yeah. But uh, just go to myalcaponemuseum.com for the rest of this ragamole. So numerology, uh, I, I found this on a website called purple revolver apparently this isn't really like an uncommon thing for people to do to find significance in numbers like this Uh, numerology in fact is the study of purported divine mystical or other special relationship between the counter measurement of observed or perceived events it would be easy to get obsessive about the number three three itself is a very emotional number uh, three is, has a, a lot of uh, childish qualities, basically. Uh, it's the ability to combine the one and the two. So one plus two equals three. And three also, if you uh, to understand the concept about uh, behind the trees, like you have, you know, uh, uh, three wise men. In, in fairy tales, you always have three wishes uh, or three questions. Uh, we all divide, you know, our life into past, present, and future. And three you know, has that, you know, holy trinity number. It's the, uh, the, uh, the number of, you know, enjoying the life. You know, when it, when it's person with a life path number three gets to present, it's obvious, you know, I'm, I love by God. It's okay that I get presents. Uh, because still, you know, there's a lot of this childish kind of energies. I don't really understand a lot of that stuff, but look, the point is it's not an uncommon practice. Mm. Three bands. Jack was in a total of three bands. If you don't count his solo stuff. And I don't. Daru's just sitting in a corner crying. (laughs) (laughs) Where the color scheme was three things, red, white, and black. Mm -hmm. And also worth pointing out, they did a total of three albums for Sympathy for the Record Industry. Ah. Uh, And then both three albums again before they split up. The Rack and Tours, the only three significance I could find here was that Jack and Brendan lived three blocks from each other when Brendan asked Jack to help write Steady As She Goes. Then the Dead Weather, which features three members of the Rack and Tours. Ah. Yeah, with the Rack and Tours, uh, Brendan Benson kind of inserted his love of the number five, which is why they had five on the five. Five on the five, yes. (laughs) Brendan stapled some upholstery in in his house. (laughs) With five staples, yeah. and he's staring. And he's like, at look, it. two more. <laughs> 
His bicycle has five wheels. Anyway. That brings us to Third Man Records, Jack White's label. Obviously, Jack named his record label, I mean, after Third Man Upholstery, but also based on all this three numerology. There's some different things that involve the number three I found surrounding Third Man Records. Please feel free to chime in if you think of any more. The first three years of Blue Series, the 45s that Jack releases on Third Man Records, they call them the Blue Series, they're with various artists, was commemorated, this is via NME, in a move both frustrating and enchanting, Third Man released all 56 of their Blue Series singles on one side of vinyl to celebrate their third anniversary. This means that the record has to be played at 3 RPM, chosen due to Jack's obsession with the number 3. It's basically impossible to play, as the <laughs> slowest turntable ever made is 8 RPM. So Jack's f***ing maniac. Third Man innovated the Triple Decker record. That's true, yeah. Which is a number three thing. Third Man Records Vault subscription service is released every three months. Ah. Third Man innovated something called three-sided vinyl. Have you ever heard about this? Have you seen this? Have you heard about this? this? Uh, So this is is via NME. Apparently there was this thing by somebody named B.P. Fallon with a song called Fame Number 9, and it was released on something called Three-Sided Vinyl. Having worked as a publicist and manager for Led Zeppelin, T-Rex, and Johnny Thunders, B.P. Fallon has a whole lot of great stories to tell, which is why Third Man gave him a spoken word record, released rather uniquely on, quote, three-sided vinyl, meaning that one side of the record has a pair of grooves with different recordings on each, which is kind of interesting. Which he kind of did with Lazaretto, too. Depending on where you dropped it, right. Other triple merch, the White Stripes had something called a triple incophone and three-inch records. Uh, Supposedly the rarest of all White Stripes creations, the triple incophone is a Japanese record player that plays three-inch records. Only 400 players exist, and the records rarely, if ever, appear on eBay. Yeah, apparently Jack White was the one who handed out the records, but I could be wrong on that. Like, you would have to run into him. Really? The one I just found on eBay went for $676 last year. Oh, my God. But it was, yeah, it was personally given to them by Jack White. Wow. Kind of like the Meg picture discs. Right, right. That is intense. Just a couple other quick things here. The Elvis demo that... Yeah, My Happiness. That Jack purchased, yeah. Uh, You know how much he bought it for? Please be like (laughs) $333,333,333. He purchased that auction. And uh, that was Elvis Presley's first record, the demo he made in 1953 when he was 18. And then, James, the Icarus launch was to commemorate Third Man Records' three millionth record. Yeah. Did they launch it three feet in the air? 300 feet in the... How far is space, Paul? Um, is it, I want to say space is not all that far. It's like three yeah. feet in the air. Like, I yeah. can't reach three feet up, right? So it's like, I mean, I'm talking three feet above me. How far is space? What <laughs> is space? Let's start there. Well, space is when I wave my hands in the air and there's nothing there. Like, sometimes when I just don't care, there, I feel like that's space. Um, and I feel like that's where the satellite was. Uh, an astute observation. Let's go into some releases here, James. really ease me from this hell <laughs> that I'm creating myself. 
I went through and picked out some songs and some album stuff that had to do with the number three. James, if you think I missed any, because I feel like I did, or if any of you at home or in the car or doing whatever it is you're doing would like to write in and tell us more three references in Jack White songs or albums, I would love to hear them because I was kind of coming up a little short on some of these and I wasn't quite sure why. But with the White Stripes, obviously the first single from the White Stripes debut album, The Big Three Killed My Baby. refers to the three major automakers of the 1950s and 60s, Ford, Chrysler, and General Motors. This is something we covered extensively on episode one of the podcast. Jack was quoted discussing this song. Three can be translated in so many ways. There's the Trinity in Christianity, and objects in the world, a traffic light. A table can have only three legs and stand up, or a wheel on a car can have only three nuts to hold it on. There's a definition about that. The biggest occurrence is in The Big Three Killed My Baby. It's three chords and three verses, and we accent threes together all through that. It was a number I always thought of as perfect, or our attempt at being perfect. Like on a traffic light, you couldn't just have a red and a green. I work on sculptures, too, and I always use three colors. I don't know. It has that feel to it. Everything we do. It just seems like the perfect connection. There's vocals, drums, and guitar. Hmm. Jack continued, I'm extremely high right now. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Where does the marimba fit into all this? Ah, we will get to that. But via the Metro Times, it's three chords and three verses, and we accent threes together all through it. White blood cells Mm -hmm. recorded in three days. Ah. Ball and a biscuit. Oh, wait. You're forgetting about one white blood cells one. Oh, which is this protector, 300 people living out in West Virginia. Ah! 300 people living out in West Virginia Have no idea of all these thoughts that lie you But now... Excellent, James. Thank you for that. We covered that extensively on episode two of the podcast, our White Blood Cells episode. Gays. Uh, ball and a biscuit. It's quite possible that I'm your third man, girl. It's quite possible that I'm your third man, girl. But it's a fact that I'm the seventh son. More religious meanings, and yeah. 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 Uh, The Elephant LP. Do you know what this one is? Has to do with the liner notes. I haven't read the liner notes in a long time, so no. Uh, Please. The liner notes of Elephant also have every three highlighted in red instead of the normal white font. Ah. Also. It's fascinating. Released in 2003. There you go. (laughs) Get Behind Me, Satan. You made reference to marimba. Uh, Jack defended the use of that stuff uh, by saying the minimalism is still there. Vocals, marimba, and drums, or vocals, grand piano, and drums. So he's saying that it just swapped, it was swapped out for another thing. Blue Orchid. The Stripes stumbled on the lick for this song three days before recording ended. Ah. It's interesting. On Icky Thump, James, perhaps the biggest three reference this side of Big Three Killed My Baby. On Icky Thump would be 
300 mile per hour torrential outpour blues indeed and uh there's a line in there there's three people in the mirror and i'm wondering which one of them i should choose well there's three people in Well, I can't keep from laughing, spitting out these 300 miles per hour alcohol blues. Oh, yeah. Nice. We move on to the tours. Not a lot here. I only found really one thing, and it's very loose. Broken Boy Soldiers was recorded and mixed in three weeks. Yes. There you go. Tangential. I have no other threes on there. If you can, if anyone can think of another reference to three as it pertains to the tours, please let us know. And while I came up short on the racks, I did find a few on the Dead Weather. Obviously on Whorehound, the song Three Birds. Oh, right. everyone forgets about because it's an instrumental but i very much enjoy that song and so there you go on that one and then obviously on dodge and burn mm-hmm. we have the uh jackie lee with his 33 three dollar hat Everybody down with his 33. So lots of threes going on in that song. And then obviously on Jack White's drum kit, we covered this in our Jack the Drummer episode, our Dracula's Three Brides. Oh, yeah. And then Solo, I found a bunch of three references here. Nothing on the Blunderbuss album that I can think of. There's other numbers, like 16, but I couldn't think of anything that was specifically three in the lyrics on Blunderbuss. But on the tour, it kicked off on SNL on... 3-3, 3-3, or March 3rd. Mm. And via friend of the show, Fernando, who we'll hear later on in this very program, via the Crave Online article about that tour, Dominic Davis was quoted as saying, it took the bands three minutes to switch the equipment out. They got it down to a three-minute cycle ah, uh, nice. for the male to the female bands. On Lazaretto, via Bantamu, a website called Bantamu, from this need to capture the magic built up from playing together every day, Lazaretta was born, referring to the tour. The full-length album was previewed by the world's fastest record. The recording sessions carried out at Third Man's studio lasted three days for the male band and three days for the female band. Hmm. So only three days given for each band on Lazaretto. And then we go to via NME about the special edition of the record. It is a veritable vinyl Rubik's Cube of hidden treats and treasures. Featuring two hidden tracks beneath the labels, three different speeds, mm-hmm. a side A that plays from the inside out, dual groove technology, meaning there's alternate intros, a matte finish, zero compression used during mastering, and a hand-etched hologram. So uh, that being the three different speeds. Although I've never tried it at different speeds. What is that referring to? Um, oh, yeah, it was the label stuff. It was the ones that are 
underneath. Uh, so the ones under the label will play at 78 RPM on side A and 45 RPM on side B, and then the rest of the album is 33. Gotcha. I've never had the bravery to start ripping labels off and stuff. So Yeah, me neither. <laughs> uh, speaking of Lazaretto, big three reference on here, James. I got three album women, opener. red, blonde, and brunette. Yeah. Well, I wish I could tell you just what my three women do. Yeah, I wish I could tell you just what my three women do. But if I open my mouth, well, that'll be three women that I lose. Yeah. Now I know what you're thinking. Uh, via song facts. This song is a cheeky refashioning of Blind Willie McTell's 1928 Three Women Blues. White explained to Uncut Magazine why he recorded his own version. A friend of mine had heard Three Women Blues at a party. What party is that? (laughs) And I thought it was an interesting song. He said, I had covered Blind Willie McTell songs in the past, and I came up with that first line. I've got three women, red, blonde, and brunette, just as a starting point for myself. I thought... I'm going to do a completely modern version of this song. It doesn't have much to do with the blind Willie McTell song at all beyond the first line. So that is the uh, the explanation on that one. And then the only other solo song I, I could find was James had to do with the Tribe Called Quest's album. We got it from here. Thank you for your service. Mm-hmm. Jack contributed three songs to that album. Oh, yeah. I get yeah. And the last reference to 3 I found here James had to do with Jack's house, which I found really really funny and I had to put this under a category called other. In Nashville, White lives in a big house with a porch and columns behind a tall iron gate. In the back of the house is a screened hutch like a chicken coop with three white peacocks that are being trained to walk the property. <laughs> He's like, uh, what's his name? Jack Donaghy in 30 Rock. I love that he's training three peacocks to walk around his f***ing yard. His his children are like, hey, Dad, can you you want to play catch? He's like, no, I got to train these peacocks. They're waddling instead of walking. I've brought in a bird trainer specialist. His name is... Carl? Carl? Get over here. Come here, Craven. Jack. Now, Jack. Now, Jack. These, yeah, what is it called? These birds of yours, they're just too fancy. They're, they're nowhere near oh, as lovely as the wonderful and fantastic simple bird that is the turkey. Now call, I, now call now. There's, I know you enjoy the turkey bird. I know you enjoy the wobbling and the gobbling. However, I'm going to need you to train these peacocks to walk around my driveway. I'll do my best, but... I cannot make heads or tails of where the warblers are and where the giblets go. I'm, I'm, now I'm trying to make my driveway fancy, Carl. Mm. Have you ever thought about finding a nice fat turkey bird? <laughs> Carl, I couldn't help but notice you're drooling on my bird feeder. I'm going to have to ask you to stop doing that, unless you can do it another two times. The fine plumage of the delightful turkey is just far superior to that of this fancy boy bird over here, the peacock. Nobody likes him. Now, Carl, I'm going to have to go ahead and ask you not to use the term plumage in front of my children. Get over here! This peacock is going to... I've got to show... Jack White needs me. I guess we're establishing that Jack and Carl know each other. Well, they did. They, I mean, he won the contest. That's how he started. God, we're going to have to start writing this down. That was our character, Carl Butterball. Anyone 
out there who is still listening for some reason. A bit more about his house here. Beyond are a few outbuildings. In one, White has an upholstery shop. In another, he has a three-laned bowling alley where he keeps racks of balls for friends. Each dedicated ball has a name tag, and some of the balls are painted fancifully. Bob Dylan's has a portrait of John Wayne. <laughs> James, this last one I found was kind of funny. Robert Johnson was poisoned at a bar called the Three Forks. Whoa, that's all right. It's vaguely Jack Whitey. Yeah, yeah, James, that was a very zany topic. But now that we're through with that, we're going to go ahead and kick it to our third man for this week. Yeah, let's kick it to our third man. Okay, and we'd like to welcome our third man for this week, Fernando. Fernando, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. How's it going? Good to meet you. Good to meet you, too. So, Fernando, I was introduced to you via a friend of the show and lovely person, Kelly Durga. She noticed that I had been, and James had been, pulling from this Crave Online article, which detailed the Blunderbuss and Lazaretto touring band stories with interviews from each of the band members, and I had been pulling from it from a few episodes because it's a wonderful resource, and actually yeah. one of the few resources available online that details a lot of what was going on during that tour. And Fernando, you were the one that conducted that interview. Yeah, that was a, a very a very special moment for me. And I'm happy that, that people still see it. And like every once in a while, someone comes up to me and say, hey, did... This, this thing is pretty cool. And, and it is, and it is. It really is. It's pretty awesome. And we referenced it a lot. And once Kelly sent us your information, we were really excited because the information that you were able to put in this article is just really super interesting and it really gave some interesting insight into you know Lily May and into Daru and Ike and all these really awesome people that we really didn't know of personally and me and Paul didn't know of before this tour so super interesting stuff yeah so Fernando do you want to tell us a little bit about how it came about and you know how it all got set up yeah sure so I, I know that there were a ton of uh, Jack White interviews on the internet and I know that whenever Jack White is going to do an interview it's going to be with a major outlet a major publication I'm not in one of those so when I heard that they were coming to Brazil for Lollapalooza in 2015 I guess I just thought it was an opportunity to try an interview everyone but Jack White because I knew I couldn't get to him anyway and I I don't think he did any interviews in Brazil. Wow. So I got the, I got everything in motion uh, a few weeks before the festival, maybe. I was talking to my friend uh, Johnny, who was the editor-in-chief at Crave Online at the time, and also Kevin, who works at Antiquiet. And we all worked for this website called Antiquiet, which is kind of my main thing where I, I used to write more. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I just started shooting emails. And it, it's a pretty long story, but basically... The first person who I got in touch with and that replied to me was Fats Kaplan because his email <laughs> was just a Google search away. And I don't know if it still <laughs> is, but it was really easy to get in contact with him. And it just went on from there. And the first interview I did was Fats and Dominic in Brazil <laughs> by the hotel pool talking to them for like an hour and a half. That's awesome. Really, really, really cool. <laughs> That's so I didn't realize you did these in person, actually. I thought they were conducted over the phone. That's awesome. Well, this one in particular was in person and I was supposed to meet more people that day because they were all in Sao Paulo. I was in Sao Paulo. So I met Dominic and Fats and they said, okay, we'll, we'll try to get in contact with everyone else for you. And they were really helpful after that. Dominic, especially, he got me in touch with Lily May afterwards. <laughs> and I was supposed to meet Lily May and the Rue the same day, but nobody knew who they were and the Rue, it was impossible to reach him 
unless it was through his manager at the time. Yeah. And and so that took a while to, to talk to him. And Dean Fertitta, it was just a mystery. Nobody knew anything about him. I don't know if he's just super not into doing interviews or whatever, because I could not get to him at all. Wow. He seems like a quiet dude. Yeah. Yeah, from, from the people I've heard who have met him and the rest of the band, he... He does the least interaction with fans. Not that he's not cool, or he just doesn't interact as much as other people. So I, I guess that's uh, the, the rest of the band is aware of that, and I couldn't get to him at all. Hmm. Huh. So anyway, uh, I got in touch with Lily May over email, started talking to her a bit, trying to schedule an interview over uh, Skype or whatever. And Rue, I finally got through his manager to Rue, and I scheduled an interview with him. And we talked over Skype for about an hour. He had the, the video chat on so I could see him. I didn't have my video <laughs> camera on. And I was really, really, really sick that day. Like I have a fever and I barely remember the interview. So if I hadn't <laughs> recorded the audio, I wouldn't have uh, remembered anything from that. Wow. Lee May was the, the craziest part of, of the interview because I actually went yesterday and looked at the email chain that I have with her because I, I knew I was going to talk to you guys. So I started just remembering a bit. And I exchanged 50 emails with her before the interview. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so... Wow. That's incredible. The emails were basically, okay, we're on for Thursday. Yeah, Thursday. And then, oh, sorry, uh, uh, I was at the airport. Or, or sorry, I lost my connection. Or sorry, Skype wasn't working. And it was just a long time, like uh, a month of exchanging emails almost daily until I got in touch with uh, Linda May and actually talked to her. And when we did, it was totally worth it because we spoke for two hours on the phone and she was the nicest of all. Oh, really? Yeah. I have to imagine that all of these people would be much more receptive to a Skype interview or a phone interview than someone like Jack, who I can't believe even owns a cell phone, uh, let alone uses uh, Skype or video telephone at all. Yeah, he uses a rotary phone and asks Swank to make all his calls for him. Right. <laughs> yeah, my friend Karina, who's maybe the biggest Jack White fan in Brazil, she got a chance to meet Jack White and the whole band in, in Porto Alegre, which was another gig in Brazil, and she went backstage and actually met everyone, and she wow. told me that before they went in the tour manager basically told I think he collected everyone's cell phones <laughs> yeah. didn't even tell them just put it in your pocket no he actually collected the cell phones or something wow <laughs> yeah it sounds like a uh, like a James Bond movie or something like that's <laughs> that's pretty extreme yeah like extreme security measures so that Jack White isn't isn't triggered by cell phones <laughs> I mean I, I guess I get it I, you know, because at, at least at that point, like uh, we were just talking the other week, I, I had the opportunity to meet Lily May at a show and I was so tempted to take the photograph with her that I asked her to do it, even though I felt like I felt nauseated at myself for even asking the question. But because I had the option and because I wanted the photo and it was there, like I just I had to do it. And I did it. But I can imagine myself being in the same position with Jack. And so it would almost be a sort of a comfort not to have the phone there because the option isn't available to you at that point to make an ass out of yourself like I did. <laughs> Yeah, I've had the opportunity of, of meeting musicians and uh, there was one instance where uh, I had close to me members of uh, Arcade Fire, Soundgarden, uh -huh. Phoenix, and just wow. a lot of people who were at Lollapalooza and I 
didn't have the courage to ask for a single picture because I knew that everyone was so comfortable and no one was taking pictures. If I yeah. do it, I'm I'm the asshole. Yes, yeah. right. Yeah, there's a guy, uh, John Hodgman, who is notorious for he'll take a photo with you. He's a comedian, but he'll take a photo with you. But he says he'll resent you for the rest of your life if you do, uh, <laughs> because uh, he's like, just talk to me, have an interaction. You know, it's about the memory. The photo is capturing this fake memory, whereas you know, if you just talk to him, you'll have this real memory of a real interaction with a real person. Right. Yeah, there, there's two sides of it, because, like, if I did get the opportunity to meet Jack, like, I would definitely want a picture, partly to re- remember it. As I, I could see both sides of it, and yeah. having not been a famous person before, I couldn't really tell you firsthand what that other side would be like, but I, I respect the decision either way. Right. At the same time, I've had uh, opportunities to meet people that I really admire, and at the, there was this one guy, uh, Alan Johannes, who I've met him twice, mm-hmm. and one time we were together, and we were just having a great time, and I really wanted a picture, and I said, no, but I'm not, I don't want to act like a fan. Yeah. But I was a fan, and yeah. afterwards, <laughs> I was just, it was just a fun night out. Had I been out with my friends, I would have, I would have taken a picture with my friends just because it right. was a fun night, but I didn't do it because I didn't want to look like a fan, and I felt stupid afterwards for that because it was just a fun night, and there's uh, a memory of that. You know, taking pictures is not a crime if you're just having fun. I think it's it's right. it's, it's, a, it's a funniest thing to to draw the line where you draw the line. Yeah, yeah. So, and it's something that I experience often when I go to comic cons and things because you know I'm an artist, so when I'm interacting with my friends who also happen to be artists, and you know I'll buy their book or I'll have their book with me. I feel so awkward asking them to sign the book because then it's the same thing. Like I don't want them to feel like I'm using this friendship to get the signature or the extra little doodle that you'll put in this book. Like I feel weird asking for that sort of stuff. Yeah. I think it also depends on, on the type of person you're with too, you know, how close you are and all that stuff. There's an etiquette to it. I think that's a fine line to dance. Yeah. So, Fernando, you said you were hanging out by the pool with Dominic and Fats. That sounds like an awesome afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so that, that's one instance where I did get a picture just because, I mean, <laughs> I have it. And it's it's really cool because I was like, this, this is a beautiful pool. This is like one of the coolest hotels I've seen in my life. Mm-hmm. And there's this beautiful pool and it's a summer day. It's just blue skies and we're, we all have our sunglasses on. I'm like, shit let's take a picture and <laughs> the first time when we were going to take a picture they were going like the opposite side of the pool and I'm like no let, let's do it here with the pool in the background and I'm like, <laughs> right. that's just a better picture than, than the wall right? <laughs> but yeah it was an amazing afternoon they were super cool guys and as I mentioned yesterday to Paul uh, what, what I published is not even the full interview oh man because I cut out a bunch of stuff it's four parts and they're, they're really big and yeah. they're divided into topics but I couldn't just include everything my intention is to, I guess, soon, one day I gotta do it, post the whole thing at the individual interviews because there's just so much other stuff that they were telling me about. And really no, almost no limits as to what they were telling me because they understood that I wasn't gonna ask any dumb questions about, you know, stuff that I shouldn't ask about. Right, right. Uh, so they were just super cool about telling me about recording and uh, what songs were created before and how many takes they did for the songs and uh, about people who left the band even, I asked that and they were like, no, uh, Carla was doing movie and whatever they were just telling me this stuff that didn't seem like a secret at all and I know that a lot of people speculated why the band got cut by half basically Mm -hmm. 
And basically everyone was just busy and they were just telling me, no, this is why. Yeah, it helps that you, you weren't doing like a gossipy piece. It helps that you were doing like an actual serious music, you know, inquiry kind of deal. I, right. I can't imagine they would be that open to a TMZ or something along those lines. Yeah. Right. You mentioned the Carla thing. Your article was where I first realized, like a lot of people, that she left to go do this movie. And I actually, it spurred me on to go and investigate more about her career and stuff. And her work with Autolux is really cool. But it, it wasn't the only only revelation I had while reading through the different articles that you posted. Do you have any highlights of things that were revelatory to you? Do you have any things that stand out as like the big revelations that was what you were hoping to get out of this interaction with the bands? Yeah, uh, every time anyone spoke about Aiki, uh, I had someone I had something that was interesting or revelatory, like Lily Mae telling me why they don't play Echo like a buffalo anymore. It's just, yeah. it, it didn't feel right playing it out without Aiki, and I had no idea, and I looked it up, and really they, they stopped playing it right after he passed away. just sharing this awesome picture of him and Aiki on the couch which I had never seen before I don't know if it was posted elsewhere but I saw this picture and I just had to use it in the article because the, the conversation was like I asked him do you have any cool memories of Aiki and he just sent me the picture he didn't even say anything wow because that yeah. picture was so iconic so great uh, and also they, they spoke briefly about how he was ill and they didn't go into detail uh, Dominic and Fats but about the whole thing uh, about the the concert writer asking for not having specific things mm-hmm. backstage and people were making a big deal out of it yeah. in articles right. and he's like none of these journalists ever thought what if someone's allergic to something right he gave me he basically said that some of those things were because Ike was allergic and he said that Ike had a more frail health and that some things couldn't be around they shouldn't be around uh, and that was it and then it, everything just, just clicked you know and I was I, I just wonder what if one of those journalists had gone through the trouble of actually asking anyone about that stuff before right. rushing out an article about it yeah that was a that was a certain time when there was like a series of articles about that tour that were all lambasting Jack White for being and his band for being some sort of weird really Wonka yeah yeah everything was very negative and in the press for like a few weeks like there was this weird string of you know there was the guacamole thing there was the banana thing like there was just all this stuff and you know I had friends coming up to me like yeah Jack White's this jerk who doesn't want bananas around him I'm like I don't know why he doesn't want them and like you said if any of these people actually bothered to do any digging or research instead of the surface area anyway and then what happens is jack gets frustrated by that and lashes out like he did during i forget what show it was he starts going on it was bonnaroo 
Bonnaroo, yeah. okay, and he starts railing against a bunch of different things, and everybody's looking at it like, oh, yeah, look how unhinged he is. Yeah, well, it goes kind of back to effect and cause, right? You know, you're heading to the grave, don't blame the hearse. Like, he was under fire, and he's a guy who's a red-blooded, you know, Detroit guy who <laughs> will fire back, you know, and he's not afraid to do that, and so it's him reacting to yeah. something. It's an effect and not the cause. So, I'm, it, yeah, that was kind of a rough time. But the shows were good. We saw that tour a few times. We loved that tour. Yeah. Yeah, I remember, I think, Coachella, he also did a rent of sorts, like, basically calling out Rolling Stone and the, the yeah. so-called journalists and all that. And he said, anything that I say on stage now is a rent, so here's a rent. Mm. Yeah. Something to those yeah. words. Like, uh, he, he compared to, to Kanye West. Like, uh, Kanye West spoke yesterday, and it's already a rant on Rolling Stone. Yeah, right. And, uh, just people were, were just trying to pull the quickest clickbait as possible. And even Dominic, when I talked to him, he specifically used the word clickbait. And I was uh, surprised how aware he was of this culture. Right. And yeah. he was mentioning, like, uh, the articles, uh, they're not articles, but like, what Disney character, what Disney princess are you? Click here right. to find out. <laughs> Literally the next day after you know that what he was saying about rolling stone the the headline was jack white versus rolling stone and then it was everything oh god you know it just snowballed yeah. into this thing about rolling stone but. that's one of the things i appreciated about your article amongst many fernando was that yours was respectful first and thoughtful and so what kind of preparation did you do in getting ready for these interviews or were you taking it in a more conversational manner depending on what each band member wanted to talk about whenever i go into an interview i try to have a set of questions ready before but that's not exactly what i'm gonna ask it's just so that i have more places to go because there's always a question or two that kind of backfires and they just give a, a single word answer and right. so you got to be ready for more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like especially the rule. There, there are a few questions that I, I cut out because I just said, so when you play this and that, it was really cool. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that was it. He's a really cool guy. He just, uh, he, he didn't have, he didn't feel like adding more. And I totally get that. And so I needed to have more me to it. And I've been a fan of Jack White since... 2003 mm -hmm. maybe and then I had a I, I already had a lot of stuff to ask that I already knew before because there's just so much stuff about specific songs that I want to ask like how do you decide which parts are played and are you going to play exactly the same thing like on Seven Nation Army or are you going to do a different thing or like the, the bass intro to I Cut Like a Buffalo and all those things that I'm just curious about and in the end it was easy to ask and they were quite eloquent in answering the questions, so it wasn't hard for me. Uh, the email interviews were hard because I hate email interviews, and so those were more difficult. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. tough when you don't have somebody to have rapport with. You're only getting one answer to a question, and if another question arises during that answer, it isn't really no way to get any further information on it. Uh, I guess I should add that I don't remember how many people are in the interview, uh, but I did reach out to every single band member of the Peacocks and the, and the Buzzards, mm -hmm. and I guess half of them are in, are in the article. And some of them yeah. were like specifically declining to participate. Others were not replying at all. I was really, really, really bummed that I couldn't reach Carla because mm. I didn't have any women on the article for a while. And right. I'm like, I, I got to talk to Carla. And I just reached out through like three different methods and none of them worked. And I was really bummed out. But eventually I got a few answers from Ruby. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was. She, it was just an email interview, and if there's little of her, 
in the article is just because she didn't say much. Yeah. And I got Lydia on the phone, Lydia May, and that was that was all I needed because she was she compensated for every other peacock that I couldn't get on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> Ruby and Lily both seem pretty receptive to talking to fans. It seems at least through social media and uh, through Paul's interaction, um, <laughs> it seems that way. Yeah. On Twitter, Ruby will definitely like and retweet stuff. We've seen Daru and. I think we've even seen Dominic do that. They seem pretty apt at interacting with fans in that way, which I think we appreciate because we, you know, all we're trying to do is chat with these people or reach out to them in some fashion and uh, because we admire them musically. So uh, what would you say was the biggest surprise for you in learning about how the bands formed? Because your article really taught me all I knew about how this exactly took place in terms of like them getting together and rehearsing for the tour and et cetera, et cetera. What was the biggest surprise for you? Or did you have one? Uh, I guess learning that they didn't have auditions. Uh, when I specifically asked them like, okay, so how was your audition? They were like, no, there, there was no audition. <laughs> and I, I felt a bit silly asking that because I just imagined that when you have something like this, you're going to have auditions. Like who would not do an audition? Every band does auditions. And Right. I guess uh, Dominic was the one who told me, no, Jack would, would never do that. He he just knows you're the guy and he puts you in the band. Mm-hmm. Right. If you don't want to be in, then he knows another guy. And every little story, it's like uh, the Rue story about he was in the studio to record something else totally different with Riza, And then he didn't show up and Jack was like, hey, I, I've got some songs for a solo album you want to play. And just <laughs> imagine being in that position. That How cool is that? Right. Yeah, we always have the Wu-Tang Clan to thank for the Jack White solo career. It's kind of funny. (laughs) (laughs) So were you able to see any of the shows during that tour or either of the tours? Yeah, I saw uh, the concert at Lollapalooza Brazil uh, in Sao Paulo, which was really cool. I was supposed to go to Porto Alegre, but it didn't end up working out. And I was really, really bummed Mm -hmm. afterwards because I heard that was cool. And my friend Karina was there and she got a chance to meet Jack. And she was... She was like, are you sure you don't want to go to this gig? And she knew that some fans were going to meet Jack White. And she couldn't tell me, but she was basically like, hey, you sure you want to go? I'm like, no, I got, I got work. And now I'm like, I could have missed a few days of work to meet Jack White. I'm sure I could have. I would have been fired. That would have been a fair exchange. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Brazil is some holds a special place in Jack's heart, obviously. I mean, he got married in Brazil, right? To Karen? Uh, yeah. I saw them on that tour in 2005, the White oh, really? Stripes. Wow, the cool. last time they came here, and that was that's in the top five gigs of my of my life, maybe the number one, and because it was the first big concert that I saw, and I wasn't aware of how much their their set changed until then, mm. because all I had was under Black Blue Light, and I just assumed that every concert was like that. And then when I got something completely different, uh, yeah. I really got what the band was like. And before I knew it, the concert was over. But I have so many great memories from that, and I will forever cherish those memories because it was such an amazing powerful performance yeah. and well, uh, seeing Jack live on the Lazaretta tour was really great too but I was in a festival and usually festival games are not the best way to see uh, an act like that and yeah. it was really good but I can't help just thinking how my, my early memory was better like from 10 years ago yeah yeah uh maybe that's nostalgia i don't know well seeing the white stripes is something special because he can't do it anymore yeah and especially seeing him in brazil he doesn't go there it seems as often as he goes to europe or you know travels the united states so i can imagine a white stripes tour there being a little more memorable and it was also more in the moment of his 
popularity too in his I don't know the zeit, he was in the zeitgeist really he was very very mm-hmm. right. big at the time so I, I could see that being more of a big deal that golden memory of him just wheeling out that marimba just <laughs> stands out in your sights and he's like now I'm gonna play this marimba and everybody's like what the fuck is a marimba <laughs> uh, I'm sorry what were you saying? <laughs> uh, so about band, bands playing in Brazil yeah most bands don't come here often and some bands come too often mm-hmm. because that's the way it goes the, people only bring a band here if they know they're gonna make a lot of money and Jack White in South America was not a sure bet and one of the band man- members actually told me that they they lost money on a few of the concerts <laughs> here because they just couldn't sell all the seats yeah <laughs> jack white isn't that popular here and that's a shame you know in america he can sell out two north american tours a year easily if he went on tour with the dead weather they would have sold out every concert i'm sure and they didn't even bother but if they had someone try to bring them here it wouldn't sell out any of the concerts with the dead weather you know and it was the same with his solo gigs i think maybe one or two sold out the rest didn't yeah. yeah, that was one of his chief complaints about touring at the end of that Lazaretto tour. He was on the record saying, amongst other things, I think exhaustion being one of them, but he seemed very bitter about the fact that he was losing money at some of these gigs, and then go, but, but going through all the effort to do so. And he said, he, he talks about the common misconception that, well, nobody's buying music anymore, but they're paying money to go see live shows and he just said that's not the case so i guess his solution aside from quitting touring for a while who knows how long is to just double down on third man records and let other people tour for him and let acts like margo price and you know lily and and whoever else just go out there and and sell a lot of merch and records in the meantime and that, that seems to be his solution i'm curious if that's his ultimate reasoning for stopping the touring for as long as he is because you know all of these other acts are getting a lot of people buying tickets and buying albums because there's so little content out there not to say that they wouldn't get this anyway but i think he's trying to avoid taking the spotlight right now and trying to give it to somebody else for a change which i could respect and i I, we don't like to gossip here but it, it sounds like a plausible enough reason yeah I think Jack's a, a really smart guy, obviously, and I think he knows what he's doing. And maybe he's aware that if he tours every year nonstop, it's not going to be that special anymore. And so I think he's also just giving, you know, some some breathing time, and then yeah. he's going to come back or something. Because if you look at back, look back at the last fifteen years, there has been a Jack White album almost every year mm-hmm. between. The Rock and Jurors, The White Stripes, The Dead Weather, and his solo career, and whatever else he's producing or playing on and constantly touring too. So I think at some time, it's not just his exhaustion, but the public's exhaustion that also goes into place. And that's why a lot of bands quit playing. They say they're going to stop. And I hope that's not the case with the White Stripes, as much as I want to see them again. Jack White, he he stated that if he ever tours the White Stripes again, he will include an apology letter with the tour (laughs) announcement. Yeah, I I always... I always thought that was one of the biggest uh, mistakes Led Zeppelin ever did was they got back together for that reunion tour. I'm sure they made a lot of money, but it made their previous touring life a little less special to people who saw it, I feel like. Yeah, it just puts a weird coda on the end of it. Yeah. Uh, no no pun, pun fully intended. <laughs> Fernando, one last question, I think, from me personally is, aside from these awesome artists, has there ever been an interview that has been extra special for you or was it this one or 
uh, any other artists that you were able to to interview that that have been momentous? I guess every interview I do tends to one up the previous one because they just get uh, I get a little better interviewing and so the interview goes a little better every time and so when I did that interview that was the, the highlight of everything I had done uh, in terms of music writing I don't do much it's just a hobby that I very rarely go into nowadays mm. Mm. but when I interviewed uh, Nick Oliveri from Queens of the Stone Age oh, nice. uh-huh. uh, that was that was a special one because it was over the phone and he's just a super honest guy and like he broke news to me that one of his previous bands Kaios the, the reunion form of Kaios was broken up again I'm like what? <laughs> he's like yeah didn't you know and nobody knew <laughs> And I just broke the news about that, and nobody knew that the band had broken up. It was apparently for him; it was common knowledge, and he just told me. That's awesome. And then, uh, more recently, I interviewed Shirley Manson from Garbage, and I think maybe that's that's the biggest interview I've done. Thank you so much, Fernando, for joining us today on the show. Is there anything you got coming up you want to plug while you're here, or what do you got? What do you got coming down the pike? Anything cool interviews? Well, at the moment, no, but I will. I will talk to Johnny from Antiquide, who was the editor-in-chief at Crave, about just putting out the the full inter- interviews on Antiquide, I guess. Uh, it's been a few years. I guess I should put them out. Uh, or just put them in the leader room or something, because they're just there sitting on your hard drive, and there is some stuff that I guess some super fans would care about reading. Yeah. Uh, the main parts are already published, but I, I, I would like to show the, the other version someday. Yeah, the fan communities would definitely run with those in this in this current jack drought so i think um i think they would be appreciated for sure yeah and we'd uh we look forward to linking to those and reading them ourselves and uh you know anything we can do to get the word out there just uh let us know so keep us posted on that fernando all right sure and once again thank you so much for joining us we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and get back to the show here yeah thank you so much fernando all right cheers nice talking to you it was my pleasure good luck with the show thank you very much. much That was a lovely, lovely, lovely episode, episode, episode about the number, 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 three, three, three. <laughs> it was indeed. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we're going to give some shout outs here to some listeners to the show, people who are uh, in- in- interacting with us on social media. We have some of the new listeners. Shout outs go to Douglas Sanchez Briones. Thank you, Doug. We've got Efren Red H. Santos. Thanks, Efren. We've got Brian Walter, or at BM Walt on Twitter. Thanks, Brian. We've got Jesse Lagasse, or at Jesse Lagasse on Twitter, as well as Scott Pactor, or at Scott Pactor on Twitter. And then, of course, Timothy J. Clausing, or at Timothy Joseph underscore K on Twitter. Might be Clausing. Uh, uh, thank you, Jesse. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Timothy. You guys are all great. Thanks for listening to the show. And then we got our regulars, as always. We got Jeremy Riles keeping us on the rails. We've got our third woman in spirit, always, Callie Durga. Fact checker extraordinaire, I should say, would be the proper title. Uh, uh, both good. I like her right. for Callie. That's good. Uh, we have the punk rock queen, Adrian King. We got. Andre Ice Cold Lime Man. We got Eileen Corsano. We see you over there. We got David Poe. Poe! Poe! Poe. I just skipped the head of my cat. We've got S.A. Franco. Love to know what that means. Do you think it stands for San Andreas 
fault line. I want to say like San Francisco. San Antonio Spurs. Uh, Kate McCoy, the beast. Is that what we determined? I mean, I don't like it. Dr. McCoy is pretty good. She ain't coy, Kate McCoy. The bones of the operation. The bones of the operation, that's right. Kate McCoy, the bones of the operation. And Amy Hart, the heart of the operation. I like it. I like it very much, James. We're uh, we're also, if you want to find us online, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thirdmen. You can tweet at us on Twitter at thirdmencast. You can find us on Tumblr at thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. Or you can go directly to the source where we post our show and show notes directly, which is thethirdmen.wordpress.com. You could also, if you'd like to talk to us, send us an email. Uh, with a either a correction or a fact or a story or literally whatever you want to say to us. Yeah, we've been known to talk on occasion. Yeah, yeah, we we like to we like to speak. We know this is a purely visual medium, but occasionally we like to do some audio as well. Thirdmenpodcast at gmail dot com is that email address. And if you'd like to go to where uh, we, we broadcast out of, you could visit our Spreaker page. You could search the Third Men on Spreaker and find us there you can find us on Acast, and occasionally you can find us on youtube i've been putting up a couple more smaller visualizers james has been doing these awesome animations of different skits on the show and they're really really funny and i love them dearly so everybody should go check those out on youtube just search the third man on youtube and you can find them there Uh, please rate review and subscribe We've got a contest going to win some cool prizes. All you got to do is rate and review our podcast on iTunes. Take a screenshot of that review and email it to us. And then if you do that, uh, you will be in the running to win some cool prizes. So do that. We're also accepting listener questions. If you have any listener questions, please send them along. We're going to do another one of those episodes soon. We would like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for the help in recording of our theme song, We're the Third Men. And thank you to Susanna Roundtree for the intro and outro of our program. And we'd also like to thank Fernando for stopping by today and offering those really cool stories. It was awesome having Fernando on the show. Yeah, you were great, Fernando. Thank you so much. And James, I think until next week, 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 I'll be looking for a home, home, home. I'll be looking for a third home. I'll see you next week. I don't even have a first home. Bye. Whoa. (laughs) I gotta look for one. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. Okay, don't, don't hang, hang up. up. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, so we're all going to press stop. They don't. Count in? I think so. I'm just seeing how close to the mic I can get before my mustache makes a noise on the microphone. It's really gross, James. It's this close. <laughs> That was me finishing. And then I have... (laughs) Whoa! (laughs) No!
do go to see a concert with me at the Greek. Put Y slash N slash maybe. Third. It's a sit down concert. The artist is. I don't know why I described it that way. She is like standing. I don't think she there's a good chance she's not gonna want to go the artist is ryan adams but the opener is a third man act i wanted to see tickets are cheap should i send her one of them eggplants is that what people do <laughs> that's what people do paul Yes, um, Mr. Furley, the landlord. Mr. Furley, Mr. Hooper. Right. Uh, was Soul the manager Bird. of Santa Monica Apartment Building. Okay. Who was uh, all acquired by Stanley aside. Roper. Paul, we get back to Stanley Roper. Jack Tripper. All, <laughs> all sarcasm aside. Day of the, I got a day of the week from Susanna. That means Ooh. it wasn't a solid no. Anymore? Uh, yes! She's f***ing in! <laughs> oh no, they saved my credit card information. Now I could get, bur- now I could get burgled. Woo! I'm going to see Karen Elson. I don't really even like her all that much. Alright, host. I feel I like just I gotta check on the stir yeah, fry. I'm yeah. just taking on the stir fry real quick. 